Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's Global Intelligence Update. So I am Nicola Potgitter, for those who don't know me. I work with Mike and Lundy, and they have entrusted me with the Global Intelligence Update this week. So we are very excited and honored to welcome Ian Hatton um, on this week's Global Intelligence Update. So Ian, for the past two and a half years of being a, a Circle of Excellence member, I can honestly say that he has grown so much and made so much changes in his life personally and professionally. So, which is really inspiring for all of us. I think Mike and Mandy will agree as well. And yeah, Ian is a significant leader. He works in the industry for over 20 years with some of the best brands out there. And I'm excited to hear what Ian will be sharing today on the topic of conscious leadership. So over to you, Ian. Thank you very much. Nicola, I'm just going to spotlight for everybody so that I can switch to my presentation view. So good morning. Let me get into it straight away with this. There were four people gathered in a dimly lit room. They were there for a very specific reason. And this reason was they wanted to discuss who they really were mythically or mystically. And what they did is they decided they would spend some time thinking about it and come back and say, is there a character in a story, a mythological character, somebody that represents who they really are? And we went through everybody and there were some quite frightening ones and some fascinating ones. My best friend thinks, feels that he is Gandalf. But they eventually got to me and they said, Ian, you know, who did you come up with that you think you are? And I said, I really don't know. I thought about it. I couldn't come up with anything. And they said to me, but it's so obvious. You are Morpheus. And I said, oh, I wish I was Morpheus. I'd love to be Morpheus, but I'm not Morpheus. They said, no, no, you are Morpheus. And from that developed uh, my understanding. And it developed from Morpheus is the god of dreams, the one who awakens dreams in others. Morpheus is the lead character of a Neil Gaiman comic series, which is now becoming a TV uh, series as well, which is uh, called The Sandman. But of course, we also know Morpheus from The Matrix. And I have learned so much about leadership from Morpheus. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Lead like Morpheus. So this is about conscious leadership in a volatile world. This is about what can we learn and apply um, in being Morpheus to the world that we live in. And that's, that's what I'm going to take you through in a bit of an exploration. Now, what's really interesting is we've seen the world in crisis for some time now. And as, as Mike has so rightly put it, so many of these things are actually opportunities. And I love this little quote from Rahm Emanuel, who says, you never let a serious crisis go to waste. And what I mean by that, it's an opportunity to do things you think you could not do before. And that's really what, where, where I find myself today and where I see we are uh, in this world. And the type of leadership that is required is a leadership that turns this into an opportunity. So why lead like Morpheus? Where does this come from? What's the logic behind this? Is this just, oh, well, it's just your alter ego, Ian. So let me just, you know, let me just pump this. Or is there something more to it? Well, as Nicholas said, I've been doing leadership development work now for a long time. I, I used to work in a leadership role at Microsoft South Africa, and I left that to do join uh, to do uh, leadership training. And so let's let's just talk a little bit about that. One of the things that I discovered very early on uh, in leading in the corporate world was just the 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 
the, the deficits of this leadership that I found, for example, it wasn't really an emphasis on growing people. I found that there was a whole lot of telling and command and control and people cowering and people never, nobody being themselves, everybody trying to imitate somebody else in the way that they led. And eventually I got so disillusioned, including with my own leadership of my team at Microsoft, where I really realized that I was no longer myself. I had deviated so far from who I really am that I, it was untenable for me. I had to get out and that's what I then did. I completed a master's degree in organizational leadership. I then uh, went through a massive crisis myself and realized that there was a lot of inner work that I needed. And that may awakened me to the idea that great leadership always starts from within. And I'd avoided the subject of self-leadership for the simple reason that I wasn't great at self-control. And I thought self-control and self-leadership were the same thing. If that were true, of course, it means leadership would be control. And so great leadership, great influence in the world that we have today always starts with the inner journey. And as we do the inner journey, the outer expression flows from it. And this was the life-changing moment for me. And what I discovered is the more I went on the inner journey, without changing my techniques, I was having a bigger and bigger influence as I trained leaders all around the world. I got invited to start traveling and doing leadership training all over Africa, the Middle East, Singapore, um, Ireland, uh, and, 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 and really most of the Middle Eastern countries and, and many of the African countries. And then some six years ago, it took another significant step forward when I was uh, invited to become a virtual leadership training facilitator. I was trained up in it. And so this is six years ago. This wasn't last year when COVID hit. This has been some time now. And today I have now worked with leaders from, uh, I counted actually just two weeks ago, I added the 80th country that I've worked, worked with a leader from. And so this has now become uh, quite a global thing. And what I've realized is there are some major deficits in uh, the leaders around the world in, in the corporate space. And I'll give you a couple of ideas. One of them is there's a mindset of winning arguments is more important than influencing people towards a goal. And I just found this absolutely fascinating, how people will win a, 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 a battle and lose a war. They'll win the battle of I'm right and you're wrong. But in the process, their lack of emotional intelligence leads them to the place where what they actually do is they lose the hearts of their people. And we've got a lovely saying, the people quit but stay. And I don't know if you've ever come across that concept. They quit, they're not there anymore, they're not engaged, they, their hearts are not there, but they still stay, they carry on earning their salary. And this is the result of poor leadership. Another one that I find, and it's astounding, is the number of leaders who behave like victims. Everything is about blaming somebody else. Somebody else is always to blame for everything going on. I've even had it where somebody has said, well, this is all good and well, but if my manager doesn't do it for me, I'm not going to do it for my people. And I'm kind of thinking, what legacy is that going to leave? Is that leadership? In fact, the victim mindset, I would venture, is the opposite of leadership, the exact opposite of leadership. And, and uh, all great leaders have overcome great odds against what was going on and what was happening to them. They, they rose above being a victim and into real influence. One of the other things that I saw as I've been working with leaders all over the world is a mindset of it's about what I do. It's about behavior as opposed to a mindset of, of it's who I am. And so these are the things that influenced, and this is why I say we need Morpheus-style leadership. We need to lead like Morpheus. Now, I'm going to introduce you to a model. Don't worry, it's slightly, well, for me, it's overwhelming to look at it at first. And this is the lead like Morpheus model. And it consists of three main core elements, being the awaken, how we awaken others, the method, how we um, uh, have an ongoing cycle of helping others grow, and then the impact, how we influence through, um, through our own internal growth. And then it's all surrounded by a concept of virtual teaming. 
which is about community collaboration and improvement. So I'm going to take you through each of these. Don't worry about the whole model. Um, but before I do, I just want to kind of, I'm going to quote the matrix, so why not, you know? Um, so Morpheus, there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. And this is why I so often see is that people think behavior changes by knowledge and they don't realize that mindsets will hold you back. They'll trump any knowledge that you have. And it's not just knowing it, it's walking it, it's doing it and living it, living it from the heart. And so that's where uh, I'm kind of going with this. So I'm going to start with the first element. The first element is Morpheus awakens. It is our job, I believe, as leaders, as influencers to awaken others. Effective leadership is raising self-governing champions. So I'm going to step you through that a little bit, through the awaken piece, the call, the build, and the release. And so the first thing is we want to call transformation. We want to call people out to transform. You, you may, if you've ever watched the Matrix movies, you may recall that there's this beautiful thing that comes up on the screen where it says, wake up Neo. And we, he was being called out from where he was stuck in the system to actually shifting to where he could um, actually change that whole world and ultimately save Zion. And so this is really what, what comes out in the movie. I'm not only about the movie, though, but this is what I've discovered, is the calling is diverse. It's understanding each person uniquely and turning that uniqueness into a strength. And uniqueness is culture. It's our, our mental wiring. Uh, it's our value system. It's, it's all of those things. And how do we take those and convert them into strengths. And especially at the moment where people, many people have got really bogged down. Um, I'm seeing report after report that psychologists are being worked silly. They can't get an appointment at the moment, apparently in South Africa with a psychiatrist because they are so fully booked with the people struggling with um, the, the results of work from home, lockdown um, and losing their work. And so there's an incredible amount of stress out there. And so this calling, this awakening is not just awakening to self, it's awakening in, out of the situation, the system that has locked people in. Um, and so this is, this is really what it's all about. And uh, it's about calling those people out and awakening them. Then the second piece of this is the build, building sustainable capacity. And I already mentioned it's mindsets and beliefs over knowledge and skills. Doesn't mean knowledge and skills aren't important. They're critically important, but it's the easy part. The much more difficult part in working with awakening others and building them is changing the mindsets and the beliefs. Um, because um, we often have limiting beliefs. We often have mindsets that limit how much we can grow. And the people that you're trying to influence are often struggling with exactly that as well. They're struggling with the mindsets and beliefs that are really holding them back. And, and it's beautiful when you watch in the Matrix movies. My, my, one of my favorite, favorite moments is after Neo has been trained, after he's practiced all sorts of things, martial arts, various things, eventually there's a scene, it's in a subway, and um, in the subway, uh, Trinity gets out of the matrix. Morpheus is, uh, Neo is still in. And Trinity says, run, Neo, run. And he doesn't. He turns and he faces the agent who is there to kill him. And Trinity turns to Morpheus and says, what is he doing? And Morpheus said, he's beginning to believe. And it's that belief that changes everything, because that's when he fights back. That's when he learns to dodge bullets. That's when he then learns to fly. And it's really about the beliefs and mindsets that hold back. And our job as leaders is to awaken people to move beyond the limiting beliefs and mindsets. And so that is what the second component of the awaken is. So we call, we build, and then we release. And releasing true genius is the goal of leadership. And, and the goal of leadership is about launch. Now, many of you are parents. So I, I want to just give you this as an example. A parent is a leader because a parent influences. Okay. The goal of great parenting is for your people to fly, your, your children to fly. I've got a friend of mine who says, my job as a parent is not raising children. It's raising adults. 
And this is the goal of leadership, is how do we raise our people to launch them? And one of the big mistakes that I see as I train leaders around the world is they want to hold on. They want to control. They don't want to set their people free. They actually want to limit them and control them and micromanage them. And this is the opposite. This is the release of the true genius inside everybody. This is the release of Neo so that he can make the decisions that ultimately lead to him saving Zion because he has that freedom. He's been launched, he's been released. And so what I find is one of the big things that I struggle with is when I see leaders who are wanting to control and great leaders produce great leaders. And we're gonna to come to that in the last piece of this model. So there we go. That is the first element, the awaken element. Now, um, we have a bit of a, a question for you. So Nicola, if you could just post that question into the chat. Um, we have here, uh, what are your biggest challenges in reawakening people post-COVID? Anybody want to, um, want to put some answers in on this one? What are your biggest challenges in reawakening people post-COVID? And this could be people you lead and influence. Um, it could be your own family members. It could be social influence. It could be your clients getting behind their fears. It's a big one, isn't it, Paul? And I know that uh, your work with values um, plays a big role. People um, needing to understand what's, what's really valuable and important. Scarcity mode is a big one. Um, <laughs> another Ian's fan. Thank you. Um, <laughs> scarcity is, is, is significant. I, I realize more and more as I'm working with people that scarcity actually gets completely in the way of, um, of, of almost anything creative, anything of liberty um, is limited by, by this idea of scarcity. Uh, wonderful one. The victim mindset, thank you. Uh, and Diane says, 21-year-old daughter, biggest challenge is how to be social again. Isn't that fascinating? Um, one of the things, by the way, Diane, and I'm going to be exploring this a little bit later on, is that um, the, the whole idea that, that to me was so destructive was talking about something called social distancing. It's not social distancing, that's the issue. It's physical distancing. We want to physically distance, not socially distance. And the whole idea of how do we engage with deep and good, so solid social relationships. And I'll be coming back to that in the last section again as well, um, when I talk about um, teams. So I'm going to talk about that. Thank you. Shazar is saying, working with the untruths that are prevalent, helping people to believe. Yeah, there's a lot of misinformation um, on both sides, uh, where we get all sorts of weird things that are coming through and, um, and, and, and getting people back to their core. Um, I find some people are so obsessed with, with for example, um, conspiracy theories. And of course, conspiracies exist, but they're so obsessed with them that it actually moves them from their purpose. They disconnect from who they really are because they're obsessing with stuff out there instead of finding their security and who they really are. So thank you, Shazar. Uh, Mary's saying that uh, what they have and always have had the power for change. Absolutely. So we've got to reawaken that power for change that's within everybody. Fear of the unknown is really an interesting one. Um, apparently, it's one of the few things that every single culture in the world has in that you find that every single person in the world has a fear of the unknown. Not every person, every culture in the world. And they've gone through from the Inuits to the Aboriginal people to every single culture has a fear of the unknown. And great leadership makes the unknown known, even sometimes to be able to say, we don't know, but this is what we're going to do, is even better than that unknown. And so the fear of the unknown is massive. Um, we've also got managing the overwhelm, which is changing neurobiology. Big, big one. Uh, thank you. And, and, and it really is about reawakening that sort of self-knowledge and hopelessness. Thank you, Melanie, is massive. Um, and, and I guess great leadership always brings hope, even to the point uh, where it's, again, things are uncertain. We don't know for sure, but this is where we're going, uh, addresses that. And then fear of change and embracing change uh, is, again, a massive one. And I think it's how do we instill that change is an adventure, not uh, uh, something to be feared. Excellent. Thank you. So I'm going to continue uh, in and we have some more questions coming a little bit later. But let's uh, let's get into the 
the next element, which is called the method. Morpheus has a method. Morpheus's method is that effective leadership is engaging with self to engage and build champions. And so this is really where it gets quite kind of interesting is what do we do to do that with people? And uh, the first element is connecting with self to connect with others. There is an element of if we are not connected and secure in who we are, it's very difficult to, to be able to serve and help others. And this is where intentional active listening comes in. Do we listen to ourselves and do we really listen to others? And to do active listening, don't we maybe need to be very self-aware and address our own needs so that they don't interfere with our ability to listen to others? And so this whole idea of active listening, um, sometimes just being quiet, being with somebody and being quiet. And by the way, I've started to even do this online. And it's fascinating how sometimes I'll ask somebody a question and they will sort of give me an answer. And I'll kind of go, hmm. And then I get a much deeper answer. And just that whole thing of listening actively, reflecting back what you're hearing, making sure you're understood. And if, and I'd rather reflect back wrong than not reflect back. I'd rather go, you know, if I'm understanding you correctly, what you mean is A, B, and C. And they kind of go, no, no only see, but the reason it's important is this. And then I go, now I get it. And they feel heard. Anybody raise your hand if you've ever had the experience of really, really feeling heard, like somebody got you, they really got you. Just raise your hand if you if you have that, okay. And what's the impact of that? What's the impact when you feel heard, when people really get you, get what you're saying? What's the impact of that? Let's get some chat going about that. Trust, big one, absolutely critical. So this whole idea of active listening, it builds connection and it builds trust and loyalty. Now, aren't these rapport, aren't these brilliant things to, for a leader to have, an influencer to have, is um, the connection, the unconditional love. You have all of these coming through that um, are so, um, so wonderful and brilliant. So thank you uh, for those comments. Um, thank you, Philippe. Very good. Okay, so the next component of this one, um, connecting, we go on to stimulating. And it's really about bringing new perspectives. And how do we bring new perspectives? Not by telling people, but by asking people. So I had an absolutely fascinating session just last week with a bunch of um, leaders, believe it or not, in the banking industry in Zambia. And it was a fascinating session. And I found a way of phrasing a particular question. And I asked them, um, because they were all struggling with the idea of the leader as coach. And I asked them this question. I said, if you could take this coaching approach, an approach which instead of creating dependency, creates self-reliance. If you could apply that to your team members, what would the impact be? And by the way, you must include the word I, me, or my in your answer uh, that you give me. And I then monitor the answers coming through the chat. It was fascinating. The quality of answers are some of the best I've ever had from any leaders at any level. Simply because I managed to figure out a great question and I got them all to answer it and, and to own their answer by saying, it will help me too, or my team will be able to, or I will be able to. And that created a whole new perspective. And I said to them afterwards, I said, now go and have a look you look at all these answers, they're absolutely brilliant. And they all agreed they were brilliant. And I said, where did those answers come from? They came from asking a good question. Therefore, that doesn't that prove that by asking great questions, you can be a great leader. And they all were marveling. Their whole perspective shifted because I asked a great question. And it's been quite a thing for me to learn how to ask great questions. We can shift beliefs with great questions, mindsets and everything. And so new perspectives is not just about what we say, it's much more about what we ask and, um, and getting people. So for example, a simple question like, I hear your perspective, how do you think that looks for your teammates? Or how do you think that looks for your customers? And suddenly people kind of go, oh, wow. Uh, that's a new perspective I hadn't thought of. And so this is what we do with great questions. And then the final piece of this is challenging mindsets. 
So we, we've connected, we've got relationship, we've got trust. Um, we, we've stimulated with some really, really good questions. Sometimes now we need to put a challenge out. Sometimes now we need to go and ask a question. Um, and uh, uh, I, I'm gonna sneakily do this anyway. Uh, and ask a question like, um, uh, what would the impact be if you grew your emotional intelligence? What would the impact be if you even assessed your emotional intelligence? And again, getting that truth out there of saying, this is what I'm seeing. I know that's difficult to hear, but I have discovered something that if we withhold our truth from the people that we're leading or influencing, we actually um, break trust because they don't feel they can trust us because all we ever do is talk the nice stuff. And sometimes we need to do a challenge. I'm not saying this should be all the time, but sometimes we need to do a challenge and we need to, to give them. And I'll give you a classic example. I was working with a manager in an IT firm and um, she had a problem that one of her staff members had terribly bad breath, terribly bad. I mean, literally people would step away when he, when he spoke to any of them, okay? And this manager said, I, can't, I just can't confront it. I cannot do anything about this. And we actually coached her through it and said, you know, if, if your best friend can't tell you that you have bad breath, who will? And, and, you know, and it's not about saying you need to brush your teeth or you need to do this or you need to do that. It's actually saying, this is, my, this is what I, I'm picking up um, and, and giving them that feedback. And, and actually it builds trust when people feel that you were bold enough and brave enough to overcome your own inner fears, to speak some truth to them, that actually opens things up and challenge the mindset. And the mindsets that we need to challenge are obviously a lot bigger than bad breath. The mindsets that we need to challenge, we've just spoken about in the chat, it's the mindsets of fear, the mindsets of uncertainty. These are the ones that we can challenge and we can start to say, so doing nothing, is that better than taking a chance? You know, that kind of mindset that we can challenge and we can um, move ahead with. Okay, so that is the second part of the model, which is called method. It's a particular method. It's a cycle, by the way, that goes on and on and on very regularly in all of my engagements with everybody that I lead and influence and mentor is connect, stimulate new thinking, challenge, connect, stimulate, challenge. It's this ongoing cycle that um, great leaders do. All right, the next one is impact. Impact is at the bottom because it's kind of foundational and impact is about being conscious, tenacious and triumphant. And so um, this impact one for me is, is really, really interesting. Um, and it, and it, it's, it, this is the real becoming one with self that leads to a tenacity that leads to success. So let's take you through a little bit of this. So becoming conscious. Um, we we a lot, know a lot about mindfulness and meditation. In fact, if you've got any questions, Philippe is the one who can help you with that. Uh, he is an expert. Um, I've got a, a meditation practice myself that's been going now for about four years uh, and has had a significant impact on my life. And I think it's very difficult without the self-awareness and the self-acceptance that comes from a mindfulness practice of some kind. Um, and there's various facets to it. Um, but I want to add in here the idea of emotional intelligence. Uh, emotional intelligence, that thing about the self-awareness that leads to self-management, and then relational, uh, sorry, social awareness that really leads to um, uh, re relational management, that we can manage relationships better. And this is foundational about consciousness. So as much as the practices of mindfulness are critical, the growth of the skill of emotional intelligence, I want to say that again, emotional intelligence is a skill and it can be grown. And so this is where, um, where we can go with this. And uh, by the way, those of you who can, who are interested, is I have a new webinar launching later today. Coincidence, it's the same day as this one. And it's the Morpheus Intelligence Update. It's just 30 minutes. Um, it is aimed at South Africa lunchtime. So it's 1 to 1.30 um, this afternoon, South African time, which is exactly four hours from now. So for some of you, that's going to be a little bit late, um, but that's okay. And um, uh, the link to register for that is uh, in the chat there. You can copy and paste it. It's at morpheusgenius.com forward slash 
hash contact is where you can register. And, um, and by the way, if you can't attend, but you're very interested, if you register anyway, we will send you the recording. So I understand that, Philippe, it's not going to work for you. Um, but um, if you do register anyway, we'll send you the recording. It's only going to be 30 minutes long, so it's not going to be too much of a pain uh, to monitor. Uh, so that is what I'm doing today, is emotional intelligence limiting your health, wealth and influence. And there's a lot of research around that, which I'm going to take you through anybody who wants to attend this afternoon. Thank you very much. Okay, let me move on to the second component about becoming tenacious. Um, we live in a world that is volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. We call it a VUCA world. I'm sure many of you have come across this term before. And tenacity is how do we help our people who live in this world? And it starts with helping ourselves. It starts with building our own resilience and tenacity uh, in what we do. And tenacity to me is based on a bunch of things. And I'll just list a few of them. One of them is self-knowledge. The better you know who you are, the more resilient you will be. Uh, because now you know, you also know what you can rely on for yourself and who you really are and maybe even what your purpose is. And all of these things give us energy to overcome and to be resilient. And we want to raise that up in our people that we influence as well, is a, a real strong self-knowledge, self-awareness that will make them capable of reaching out. Another facet of, of resilience is exactly that, it's community. How do we build the kinds of relationships where we can reach out when we need help? Um, so that's another critical element. Um, and, and, and so there's, there's all of these facets that we want to not only engender in ourselves, but be able to inspire in our people as well. And uh, I've got a little, um, another little matrix quote here. And this is about Neo, but by Morpheus. And Morpheus says this, I don't know what he can do to save us, but I know that as long as there's a single breath left in his body, he will not give up and neither can we. And so this is really, really an interesting um, uh, uh, quote in that the way that Neo was raised by Morpheus is uh, empowered him to take his motivation and everything on board, his knowledge, knowing who he really, really is, and that he will never give up. And that's exactly what happened. And by the way, everybody stopped believing that this was possible except Morpheus. Morpheus was the one who believes. And I think it's so important that we as leaders um, hold on to good beliefs. We obviously need to deal with bad ones, but we want to hold on to the good ones because that becomes a solid rock for our people to anchor on. And so we really want to continue with that as well. And all of this, the, the, the consciousness and the tenacity is where our success comes from. And our success will come from uh, 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 being uh, influential through others. Morpheus' success in saving Zion was Neo saved Zion, not Morpheus saved Zion. And, and this is really what it's about. Our biggest successes will be through others. Yes, there's many things that we will do and we will influence in the world, but our biggest successes, our lasting impact, our legacy will be what our people did what the people that we influenced end up doing. And, and that's really where the real triumph comes in. Um, you know, for, for us as parents, what our children do, um, how they do things better than we do. Uh, I see this with my children, how, how much mature they are, were in their 20s than I was in my 20s. In fact, probably than I was in my 40s. But anyway, um, the, the, the reality is that there's so much that we can do through others. And... Um, and in everywhere where I lead, it's all about how can I raise people up to have an even bigger influence than me? And that's really the attitude behind it. So, but that comes from a consciousness. It comes from a self-awareness. It comes from a, uh, a getting beyond the, the sort of selfish, uh, even the selfless paradigm, but actually being in integrity with self. When we have integrity with self, it brings us tenacity and it brings us success. And so that's uh, where I'm at with that. Now, the final piece of this model is Morpheus is a team player, a team builder. And virtual teaming is becoming the critical skill at the moment. And I'm going to take you through some pieces which may be quite alarming and may be quite significant. But effective leadership this time is leading champions in virtual and hybrid environments. We really want to build 
the kind of environment where our people uh, maintain all the community collaboration and improvement that is the potential of a team. This is the one plus one is 11 that Mike so often talks about. So let's start with the first element of this, it's community, which is about trust and connection. Um, and what we find is that in the virtual world, one of the things that suffers first is community is so many people end up feeling disconnected, where leaders are, are allowing people to become isolated, the extroverts are suffering because they need the social contact, the introverts are suffering because they, it, they can hide, and everybody's struggling like crazy, and we, we want to make sure that, um, yes, obviously the introverts uh, uh, have a less of a social need than the extroverts, but we all are wired to connect. Connection is a fundamental of how the human brain works, and it's a fundamental of, of, of how thriving societies work. And so we want to establish trust and connection. Very interesting thing about trust. Just pause for a moment and think about who the person is in the world that you trust the most. And let me ask you this question. Is it somebody that you have a strong connection with? You see, connection and trust are intimate. Connection is the backbone of trust. Yes, there are other elements to trust. We want to trust people uh, for their competence. We want to trust people for their reliability. We want to trust people for their values. But in the virtual world, the piece that has suffered the most is connection. And therefore, we've seen a breakdown in trust. And so we want to have the relationships that we can build with being experts at virtual relationship building. Uh, we want to be able to share the resources that are available so that we can, um, we, we people feel like they've got access to what they need to thrive. And that also builds trust when they feel like you're providing them with what they need. And finally, purpose. Um, people rally around a common purpose. One of the most essential human basic needs that we have is not just re relationship, but connection to something that is a common purpose. And if you look, look at who you leading and influencing, where is that common purpose? If it's a team, does that team have a purpose? The, the purpose is the gel or the cement that holds the team, the glue that holds the team together. And when we're all working towards a common purpose, um, we have one direction. If everybody's got their own purpose, we have no direction in what we're doing as a, as a group or as a people. And so this is where it comes in uh, so critically, the connection uh, with people, with resources, and with a common purpose. Okay, second last one. Um, this is collaboration. In the virtual and hybrid world, we have a need to become experts at collaboration, which is about brilliant communication and brilliant synergy. Now, I'll give you a little clue. One of the biggest mistakes in the hybrid world is the over-reliance of email where people are using email thinking it's a collaboration tool. Email is not a collaboration tool. Email is an information distribution tool. In fact, the origins of email is more than a century ago with the old inbox outbox that we used to have in the paper world more than 100 years ago. And it's not a collaboration tool. It's an information sharing or distribution tool. And, um, and to me, we need to be much cleverer about how we structure our teams our meetings and the technologies we use for collaboration. There are some brilliant new technologies out there for really good collaboration. And uh, structure-wise in the virtual world, the smaller the team, the better. Um, we can sometimes in a face-to-face -face world get away with slightly bigger teams. In my opinion, when you have a group discussion and you have more than five people, you already have one person as a passenger. Um, the, 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 and then you've got to really work hard to involve everybody. And so my ideal is a core team of about three or four, maybe at maximum five people. Then you have a circle beyond that of the next level. And then you have the whole team. If you've got a large environment, that's what you need. Um, and that way you can actually manage. And when you give work, you give it to subgroups. You don't give work that everybody just goes and does on their own. You create collaboration, communication, synergy by assigning a task to a group of two or three, because that again is a great size. So that's where the structure comes in. Meetings, 
video, video, video. You want as much as possible um, to, to, to handle that. Um, and you want to have the kinds of meetings which have focus. They need to be quicker than face-to-face -face meetings because in actual fact, you can, you can achieve in a one and a half hour meeting what used to take two hours face-to-face, -face, but people are 30% more tired afterwards. So we need space really important to be handling that. And then the great technologies, collaboration technologies, uh, meeting technologies, uh, platforms for collaboration, uh, which are much better than something like email, which is actually very seldom ideal in a team environment uh, of any kind. Okay, and then the final piece, the final piece is continuous improvement. This is about maximizing and sustaining your virtual team, your virtual group. This is about instruments. There's so many good instruments. And if you're interested, I've got lots um, for measuring how a team is doing. But let me explain the fundamental issue is most teams I've ever worked with, they continually talk about the goal or the task, and they almost never talk about how are we doing as a team and how can we improve as a team. Uh, and when I find that we can do those little assessments, how are we doing? Where can we focus? How could we do this better? Are we living our values? Are we living our agreed norms? Those kinds of things. How are we handling conflict? How are we handling decision making? Um, what do we do if somebody's not delivering? Those kinds of things are critical for moving a team forward. And, um, and this is all about maximizing and sustaining. There's instruments, there's specific skills we can, we, can, we can do. There's even roles we can have people play that all grow and assist this continuous improvement in the virtual and hybrid world. You know, we can ask questions like, how are we doing in our community? Or do people feel connected? Do people feel isolated? And this is where it's so critical, especially uh, in the current situation. So that is um, me just going to wrap it up. And I want to wrap up this section on virtual teaming and virtual leadership with another quote from The Matrix. And this quote is Morpheus again saying, if real is what you can feel, smell, taste and see, then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain. And the, the idea behind this quote is very often I hear people talk about, well, in the real world and in the virtual world and in the real world and the virtual world. Well, I don't know about the rest of you, but I have real relationships over virtual technology. And this is the key, real relationships over virtual technology. And in fact, if, if when something is stimulated through your eye to get to your brain, it's an electrical signal, um, what your taste can go to your brain through electrical signal, what we touch um, is through electrical signals and, and the vagal system and into the brain. This is all electrical signals. And the fact that we now have real relationships over virtual connections is just lengthening that signal a little bit. And we want to use the technologies well. We want to use video well. We want to use all of this well. And that leads me to questions. So um, I know, Nicola, you've got some questions we can put in the chat as well. But yeah. uh, any thoughts, any ideas? Anyone wants to go first before I start? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. Okay. So my first question, what bothers you about leaders you see around you? So don't just think about politics. Think about leaders overall. Think of leaders in the business world, um, influences maybe in your community. Um, what, what bothers you about the way that they're leading? Feel free to unmute yourself if you want to answer or say something. Diane's comment, I love. Uh, so many people say Zoom fatigue. Isn't that just a crazy statement when we're all building relationships virtually? And you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's just a medium and we need to use it wisely though. I think Zoom, the real issue of Zoom fatigue is the poor usage of virtual technologies. And if we're not experts at doing it well, um, it's much more tiring. So uh, good one. Thanks, Diane. Can you lead clients? If so, how would you go about it? Lovely question, Philippe. So Philippe, my, my comment on that is that for me, the fundamental of, of leadership is influence. And if you can't influence clients, then I think you probably 
uh, are going to fail in in a, in, a, in your business. And so, um, so really, how would you go about it? Well, I would connect, I would stimulate, I would challenge, uh, I would awaken, I would call, I would build, I would release, I would impact by going on my own inner journey and and uh, building my consciousness and the tenacity to help them through their problems that will lead to their success. So I think everything we've just done, and then of course all the virtual skills come on top of that. So um, I don't know, Philippe, if I'm answering your question, but to me, every piece of this can apply in the client world. Um, and maybe it's because we sometimes think that lead means boss. We don't have to be the boss of our client. We can be the influencer of our client. Okay. Uh, thank you, Sue, for your comment. Uh, dictate, says, uh, says Melanie. So, uh, yeah, there's much too much dictatorial leadership. And by the way, Melanie, I believe that the basis of that is insecurity, that as people are insecure, they feel the need to control. When we become secure and conscious, um, a consciousness that, and a tenacity that grows out of being secure in ourselves, we have much less of a need to dictate and control. Uh, consistency, big one, Mary, thank you very much. Uh, and again, don't you think that the consciousness, the tenacity that we can build in ourselves will lead to much more consistency? Not listening, absolutely right. Active listening is crucial and it's almost impossible to connect without listening. Massive one, Shazar, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> Dumbledore, uh, Paul, thank you so much for reminding me again. So this was again, Paul discovering who he really is. Thank you, Dumbledore. Um, and uh, love the influencer part. I see support and facilitation as a basis of leadership. You're absolutely right. Uh, and all of what we've just said here applies as well. Uh, and then uh, lack of connection between the business owner and operator and the team. Exactly. Without connection, it's really difficult to have trust and therefore to have team. Brilliant one. Ethical leadership. Thank you, Elry. Uh, again, I would say it comes down to real consciousness. Really conscious leaders are automatically, in my opinion, more ethical. Um, but also there's a transparency when we are following the Connect Stimulate Challenge process as well, which can also build that. Excellent. Um, great answers. Nicola, should we do the last question? Yes. Last question. Where do you think the gaps are in leadership development? And so my thinking behind this question was really about, I've trained leaders all over the world and I just see a lot of gaps. I do see some really good stuff happening as well. And I try to make it as much fun and positive influence as I can. But do you think there are fundamental gaps? Think of anything, think of the schooling system, think of um, the, the, the leaders, where, where are the gaps in leadership development? Squashing creativity. Diane, you are 100% correct. Micromanagement is the opposite of inspiring creativity. And it's again that control thing, that dictatorial thing that Melanie was talking about, where um, the more we control, the, the, the more we kill creativity. Uh, whereas the if you think of the awaken, build, release, it's all about creating the space where people can, with integrity, do the right kinds of creativity, okay? How they see themselves as human beings is massive. And in fact, um, uh, Paul, I'm gonna add to that. One of the things I've come across all over in the corporate leadership world is that a lot of leaders think they're supposed to be perfect. And the problem with that is that they then present themselves as machines and people immediately pick up number one on the hypocrisy. But secondly, nobody wants to follow a machine. People want to follow a real human being. And therefore, we need to sometimes show some of our vulnerability, uh, not to the extreme so that they lose hope, but vulnerability in the sense that we can apologize, we can admit to mistakes. And there we can then... Um, uh, uh, bring our humanity and open the way for their humanity as well, the people that we lead and influence. So I think that's massive, seeing how we see ourselves as human beings and how um, we project that to our people as human beings. The intention to be conscious leaders is, uh, is a big gap. I, I find most leadership is behavioral. You must do this and you must do this and you must do this to your people and you must do this and you must do this. And very little of it is the inner journey of consciousness. Uh, really, really big one. Um, yeah, cover your ass versus being proactive, uh, leadership versus management. There's so much of that CYA that goes on in the corporate world. I see it all over the place. Uh, everybody's doing that instead of building 
great uh, longer term, sorry, got a big helicopter just flying past, um, doing that instead of um, proactively building their people. And a lot of it is firefighting instead of uh, fire prevention. And a great leadership fo focuses on the things that are important, but not urgent, because they're the ones that will stop the crises from happening in the future. Uh, Sue has said not being in a state of curiosity and constant discovery, feeling they're supposed to know everything. I love what you're saying there, Sue. And this is this thing where leaders think they're supposed to be right all the time. And being right is in some ways the opposite of leadership, because it's not about being right. It's about influencing and growing people. So I love what you're saying there. Um, and, uh, and this whole idea that you're supposed to know everything is actually defeating great leadership at the moment. And then finally, we have from Mary, need to create space for deep personal development as well as business leadership. Absolutely. That's exactly what we need. And uh, I think you're absolutely right. The personal development um, combined with great business skills will create great business leaders. Uh, and so often the personal development piece is missing. Well, I think that's it from my side. I will switch back my view. I'm going to switch back to the... Uh, gallery view for me so that I can see everybody. Any last questions or comments from anybody? Feel free to use your microphone. Thank Love you. your presentation, uh, Ian. Very impressed. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. Yeah, same for my side, Ian. Very insightful, very thought-provoking. Really, really enjoyed it. Lots of, lots of gems in there. And I really want to give a special word of thanks to the fan club. Um, <laughs> never seen that before. Uh, just think it's hilarious. Um, but intimidating. But thank you very, very much, everybody. Thanks, Ian. It was brilliant. Excellent. And I, I said in the chat, but it's really awesome. I want to say it again that that sense of to be a true leader, to really to have those around you showing that leadership that you have be through their greatness, through their coming forward. It's super important that. Thank you. Thank you, Shazar. Precious, precious lady, Shazar. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I think that's it for today. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining. Thank you, Ian, for this amazing talk. I think there was a lot of uh, food for thought and things that everyone can incorporate in their daily lives. Um, so we really appreciate it. And then next week, we will have Rainer Patek from Germany on the call. So for those who want to join that. And then, yes, have a lovely evening, afternoon, morning, wherever you are. Thank you so much for everything. And thanks to everybody who's suddenly registered for the event later today. I really appreciate that. Great. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Nicola. Bye, guys. <laughs>